Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. My guest today is Delcy Bean, the CEO of Paragus Strategic IT. Paragus has become one of the fastest growing IT firms in the region, but Delcy's focus has been on building a great culture and a deep commitment to the community. In addition to growing his company, he has started a nonprofit to provide training for IT workers in underrepresented communities. Welcome, Delcy. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Paul. Uh, Well, it's just great to have you on the show. I know your company was also a 2020 Forbes Small Giant, so congratulations on that. Uh, But one of the things I learned about you, which is really amazing, is that your company actually started back when you were in school, like at 13 years old. Uh, uh, Tell me how the company started and what you guys do today. Yeah, so I never really flourished in the traditional classroom environment. I liked school fine, but for me, I liked to be out there doing things. And so kind of as a side project, I started this little company repairing people's home computers. And it, without really intending to, it kind of took on a life of its own. And suddenly it was a real business. And, you know, around sophomore year, I decided it was big enough that we actually had to open up an office, uh, started having clients come to us instead of us going to them, brought on a business partner, hired another employee. And kind of before I knew it, the company was a real company earning real income. And then ultimately, over the years, it morphed and changed from being a a company that served mostly residential customers to a company that serves exclusively small businesses within our region. So today you're a an outsource provider of support services for IT. Is that correct? Yeah, a lot of people refer to us as a managed service provider. But what we do is we are the IT department for companies that don't have IT in-house. We do their help desk, their security, their compliance. We help them think through technology investments and strategies. And we make sure that whenever there's a technology question or issue, they've got a partner at the table. Okay, got it. And uh, in terms of scope, uh, size, whether it's revenues, number of employees, uh, give us a sense of that. Yeah, our clients are typically in one of four industries. There are private medical offices. There are professional services firms like lawyers, accountants, insurance brokers. They are manufacturing companies or they are nonprofits. And they typically have between 15 IT users and 250 to 300 IT users. And they're all headquartered within a 90-minute radius of our office in Hadley because we really believe in being able to get to them in person and have FaceTime with our client. And... uh... How many employees in your company? So we're just under 50 full-time employees right now. Okay, nice. Uh, we're still in the in the middle of our 2020 pandemic. Uh, and as you talked about serving the local community, what's that been like for you guys? Have you had to pivot in terms of your model? Or are you still able to get to your clients and service them? Yeah, in so many ways, our work was more important this year than almost any other year. There was a two-week period of time where we helped about 7,000 people switch to working remotely. And that's a huge lift. It was a lot of work. 
and really important work. Our clients needed to be able to pivot to making sure their employees were safe and they needed us to help them get there and they didn't have a lot of notice to give us. Since then, we've had very important work about helping to make sure that those remote employees can continue to work and be productive and efficient. But we've also had a lot of security challenges that we've had to tackle to help make sure that these businesses, their networks, and the data that they have is secure and isn't going to fall into the wrong hands or compromise their business or compromise the privacy of their either clients or their employees. Mm. Yeah, so you guys have been uh, needed more than ever during this time. As I learned about the company, there's a lot that you have done to build a, a great culture in the business. I remember when I had my core business, we had primarily in-house IT um, and kind of a different group of people, so to speak. <laughs> so you don't always think about culture focus when you think about IT professionals and all that. And so you have carved out a niche and a special way of doing business. Where, where did that come from? And, and what are some of the practical things you've done to create this unique culture within uh, the company? It all revolves around what we call our core purpose, this idea that we want to make IT fun. And we want to make IT fun for everyone. We want to make it fun for our employees and make it a place that they love coming to work every day. And then in turn, by doing that, we want to make it fun for all of the clients that we're serving, whether it be the end user employees of our customers, who when they're calling us are usually not having the best day of their week or sometimes even their year. And we want to make it fun for the leaders of those companies that depend on us to help them make good strategic IT decisions, to think through which technology their business should be invested in and leverage in and to help them prevent risk and failure within their network that can really impact their bottom line, the people that they serve, and their employees. So it's really this just concept that IT can be fun. It doesn't have to be that stereotypical experience that is often described as frustrating or intimidating, but that it can be something that both employees enjoy doing and that businesses and their employees enjoy consuming and interacting with. So one of your core values is to foster fun. Uh, give a couple examples of how you do that within the company and how do you make it fun for the customer? So fostering fun for us predominantly has two pieces to it. One, uh, our core value speech says no one likes a whiner, a jerk, or a loser, and nothing damages our culture more than cynicism and negativity. And what we mean by that is the attitude that you show up to each day has a tremendous impact on your coworkers and the people that you're serving. And we expect our employees to put on their best face and come to work wanting to be there. The other piece of it is we believe that you have to contribute more to the culture than you consume. Our culture is so strong and is so much fun because of what every individual employee contributes to it. We as a company can only do so much, but if every single employee is constantly looking for ways to create a wow for one of their coworkers, create a wow for one of their customers, to do something really nice, to show their appreciation or gratitude for somebody else, then our culture is really, really strong because we have almost 50 full-time people working really hard to make it really strong. And so that's really the secret to why our culture is so great. It's that we hire people who want to make the culture great, and then we empower and reward them for doing so. And how that translates to the people that we serve is we take the same approach with them. We want to make it fun for them. So everything from when you call our office, you'll hear a Morgan Freeman recording 
to the fact that we send out jugs of maple syrup to our clients once a year, to the fact that we've sent you know, food trucks to our clients' parking lots when they're accountants in the middle of tax season and we know that they haven't eaten a good meal in a long time. It's about just caring for our customers as people, knowing that there are great, passionate, wonderful people within those companies and that we want to take care of them and do what we can to make their day better, especially when they're calling us extremely frustrated about some problem that's preventing them from doing their job. Yeah, those are great examples. That that uh, maple syrup certainly sounds great. You know, uh, companies quite often are looked at as commoditized. My company was a call center business, so at some point that becomes commoditized. IT services, outsourced IT, that can be looked at as commoditized. And I always like to sell to say that we should sell not what we do, but who we are. And so, how are you able to? get that message out as you're selling a potential new client, that it's not so much just about the services or the on-time performance, but it's the story of your company that is the differentiator. Yeah, there's four things that we talk about as making our company unique. The first is that we are an employee-owned company, and that means a lot. It means that the employees that our customers are interfacing with are not just employees. It's kind of like when you call the owner, you get a different experience. Well, here, everyone's the owner. And so everyone has that kind of bigger picture, longer term view than just showing up to do a job where maybe they're not as engaged. The second piece is we really focus on being fun to work with, trying to remove obstacles and barriers, trying to make it as easy to contact us and work with us, trying to make our billing and processes as seamless as possible trying to be very, very transparent about what we're doing and why we're doing it. The next thing is that we have a strategic focus. We really work hard to not just be reactive to what our clients are asking us to do, but to be their partner, to help them see the forest through the trees and start to figure out where should they be taking their technology? Where could their workforce be more efficient? How could we leverage technology to offer a new product or service to their customers? And those aren't things that most IT companies are coming to the table with. They're treating it more like a commodity where our job is just to fix the problems and keep the network up and running. And then the fourth thing is that we do what we call dedicated teams. So rather than taking a kind of a generalist approach, we've taken a very specialized approach. We have four departments of the company. One is focused exclusively on doing projects. One is focused on strategy. One is focused on the proactive services, which include security, backups, monitoring, and compliance. And one is focused on the very important work of providing reactive support. And then what we do is when we take on a client, they get assigned a four-person team, and it's one person from each of those four departments, and they work as their outsourced IT department. And that way, those four people are collaborating to see all the different facets of the technology spectrum and working really closely together to make sure that that client is getting a comprehensive solution, not just a single source answer. Also sounds like you have that group of people that you can develop relationships with and not just get the next person in line when you call up the company. That's exactly right. I mean, it's it's incredibly common for our staff to be invited to our clients' Christmas parties, to be invited to their baby showers. They're an extension of that companies, employees. And when that happens, we know that we're doing our jobs right, because that's how we want it to happen. These companies aren't big enough to build a five to six to eight to 10 person IT department within their company. And they're certainly not going to be big enough to ever have the resources of having 50 full-time people waiting at the standby if they need them. 
but we want their experience to be as personable and as relatable and as intentional as if they were full-time employees. And so that's really what we're striving for. Now, each of these companies that you serve has their own culture. Have you had the opportunity to either on purpose or just by your own transparency to see that your culture rub off on theirs? We have, I think in in several ways, one of them is the fun piece of it. We've seen a lot of our clients reach out to us for ideas on staff events or ways that they can bring fun to their office. We've done some collaborative events where we brought our culture with other companies together and done some kind of fun, nice events together. We've done a lot of events here at our office We have a pub in the building that has four local beers on tap and a nice event space. And we'll bring different people from our customers here so they can experience it. But then I would also say that the thing that is also rubbed off on our customers is our transparency. We're incredibly transparent and open and honest with our employees. We're an open book company. We share with them why decisions were made and where they were, where they came from. And we also ask their input and feedback. And I've had a lot of CEOs of our clients reach out to me and say they're trying to foster a more open and collaborative environment that employees feel more comfortable speaking up and sharing their opinion. And they reached out to ask, how have we done that? What has worked? How have we accomplished the culture that we have today? When you think about the kind of personalized service, uh, the, the local nature of what you do, your employees are invited to parties, things like that, You're, you've served regionally. Um, is this something you intend to keep local and regional, or do you want to scale it uh, to a larger geography? And if you are going to scale it, how do you scale the culture? So it's the exact question we're figuring out at this moment. We spent the last three and a half years getting ready to scale our business. We did one small acquisition within our own geographic market so that we could learn about the process of doing an acquisition with every intention of once we address the shortcomings that we identified during that acquisition, that we would do more, but that they would be outside of our geography so that we can scale our business to new markets. So we're actually in the process right now of reviewing potential acquisitions in two other geographies that if we were to move forward with would open up a whole new geographic market for us and a new 90 minute radius. And from there, the intention is going to be to continue to replicate that, to buy a company that is maybe an eighth of the size that we are, somewhere between an eighth and a quarter, and then grow them two to three to five times what they are when we acquire them to be closer to the size company that we are today in our own geographic market. And we want to continue to do that over and over again. And ultimately, our 10-year goal is to be serving 1,000 small businesses across the United States. So that's really what we're working towards. But you bring up an important question, which is how do you scale your culture as you expand beyond having one roof that everybody works underneath? And honestly, this pandemic has created a great pilot for that. We have 95% of our staff working remotely, and they have been since the very beginning of March. And so we've already had to face this challenge. And we did some things in the beginning, but we deferred a lot because we thought it was going to be short term. But now that we've kind of come to accept that working remote is going to be a long-term part of our culture, and knowing that we have these acquisitions looming in the near future, we've started to really rethink how does our culture translate to an environment that has a combination of remote employees and satellite offices. And so we're starting to take the programs that have always been really core to Paragus that have worked really well, 
And we've been kind of putting the bump on the whiteboard and rethinking how could we translate that program to be more inclusive of remote and satellite employees. We don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but we also need to understand and respect that change will be required for us to continue to keep the level of community we've created in this new world, but also as we expand in scale. Yeah, my company had uh, almost 400 employees, uh, 95% of which were under one roof. And so we didn't have to go through what you guys are going through right now. Can you give an example of maybe one thing that you've been able to take uh, culturally that you were able to do when everybody was together and kind of move it remotely and still have it be effective? Yeah, there's two that instantly come to mind. The first is every Thursday we bought everybody lunch. And we didn't buy them lunch because we think they needed us to buy them lunch, although I'm sure they appreciated that. But we did it because it gave everybody an opportunity to eat at the same time, to come together, to socialize, to spend time as partners, as we call them, getting to know each other. To translate that, what we've done is we've created a system by which once a month, we're going to pair every partner in the company with two other partners, and we're going to pay for the three of them to have lunch. That might mean sending Grubhub to their door. It might mean paying for them to go out to a restaurant. It might mean paying for them to get takeout. We really don't have a preference, but we will pay for them to have lunch together. And we will assign the pairings so that every single month they have an opportunity to have lunch with two other people who maybe they wouldn't have had an opportunity to sit down in an informal, non-meeting sense and just get to know each other a little bit better. And that'll be designed to work whether it's on Zoom or on Teams or whether it's in person or some hybrid combination of both. Another example is we have our five core values and we have this wall in the building that's called a recognition wall. And we write the five values across the wall. And then throughout the month, people would take post-it notes and write up examples of somebody living one of the core values and put it up on the wall so that everybody else in the company could see it. And then once a month, what we would do is we'd take all those notes down We would tally up all the times that people either entered a note or were mentioned in a note. And we would have this fun event where we'd get everybody together in our one meeting room. And we would kind of have this celebration where we'd read off some of the notes. We spun a a wheel and you could win prizes. And it was a fun way to kind of recognize and celebrate the gratitude that had been expressed. So we've moved that event entirely online. And the way it works now is we have an electronic prize wheel that's really fun and has all these cool, unique prizes and makes fun celebration noises when you spin it. And we put it up on Microsoft Teams and we invite partners to take the microphone, so to speak, and do a shout out to anybody else in the company that they want to thank for doing something in the last 30 days. Everybody gets to hear them say it live. The person obviously gets to hear it said about them. And then that person gets to spin the prize wheel and win a prize. And we also use that event as a way to recognize partners who have had anniversaries in the last month and partners who have made really big contributions to our company in the past month. And so that was an event that, you know, used to be thought of predominantly as an in-person event that we were able to pretty easily translate to being an online event that has had even more participation online than it did when it was in person. Yeah, those are great examples. And, and I love just that, that commitment to, to doing it and being consistent and to telling stories, the same things that have always engaged your employees. You're just being creative and finding a way to do it remotely. And I'm sure it's at least as effective. That's, that's just wonderful. You know, uh, you're doing a lot of great things, Delcy, in, in growing your business. And, and uh, there sounds like there's some exponential growth to come in the next few years. But let me take you back a little bit because I'm interested into what 
gave you the background into becoming the kind of leader you are today? You obviously had some technical know-how, even though you didn't flourish in school, like you said, as much as uh, you had hoped. But early on, uh, you you start repairing other people's computers in the neighborhood. And so what? tell me about your parents. What was it like growing up? Any Any early jobs that were influential in your leadership growth? Yeah. So first and very importantly, I grew up in a family business. So my father, his brothers, his father, and his father uh, ran a company called D.D. Bean and Sons, uh, which is also my namesake. So I am Delcy David Bean, and I'm the fourth, and the company was started by the first and the second. And they manufacture paper matchbooks. They are now the largest, the only paper matchbook manufacturer left in North America. But they started 80 years ago. And at a certain time, it was a very large company operating seven different factories across the world, producing a significant number of matches. So I grew up in that environment. I had kind of that taste for family business, for entrepreneurship, for business in general. And then in terms of how that influenced me, you know, I got that entrepreneurial bug. I was selling, I don't know if you remember these or not, but when I was a kid, there was these things called creepy crawlers, which were like mm-hmm. this goop you put into like an easy bake oven and it made these like rubbery insects. I made those in first and second grade and sold them to my classmates as pranks they could use on the teacher and other kids. I ran a lemonade slash snow cone stand at on a highway where we lived for three summers in a row and made like, selling snow cones. And that was probably third grade. You know, I've always had the bug for leadership and for building something. And it really solidified for me when I started this nonprofit in fifth grade called Steps Towards Walls. And I'd read this article in this paper that we didn't have a shelter for battered women and children within a significant geographic radius of where I lived in my hometown. And to me, it seemed like a really easy problem to solve. You just raise some money, you build a building. And so I found a nonprofit that'd be willing to operate the shelter if we could raise the funds to build it. And I asked them how much it would cost to build it. And they told me a rough number. And so we created this walkathon up this mountain called Mount Monadnock, which was, I grew up right on the base of Mount Monadnock. And collaboratively through that fundraiser, through the awareness we created, we raised enough money to build the shelter. And I had a board of directors and I had these different reports and I had to make these, you know, proposals and presentations. And I loved every minute of it. I was certainly nervous and uncomfortable at times, but I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed seeing that I could have an influence on the world, that I could impact people in a positive way, even as a kid. And that's really what started my leadership journey is just seeing that an action I could take could have a positive influence on the world. Did you get any particular influences from uh, whether it's your your folks or other relatives as in this family business about this idea, not just of a product or service uh, or the impact that that could make, but what it meant to build relationships with other people and try to influence how they led their lives and how they worked in business? I think I'm sure there was many of them. I had phenomenal teachers going through school. I had a lot of great people in my life. But the one that really stands out was my grandmother. My grandmother didn't officially work in the family business, but she knew every single one of the 130 employees who were in the factory that was in the town. She knew them. She knew their families. She knew their kids' names. 
She would show up every Thanksgiving and hand out a turkey to every single employee for their family. If somebody was going through a hard time, she would secretly slip money into their mailbox without anybody knowing. She just really deeply cared about the community that she was in. She also served on every nonprofit and was a very generous contributor to the local community. But it was her specific care for the employees of the company that I think did have a very long and lasting impact on me. Oh, yeah, it sounds like it. Um, And that's reflected in everything it seems like that you do today. So she obviously had a big impact on you. Let's take a quick break. As a leader, I value responsiveness. In fact, it's one of the values of the small giants community. When it comes to email, crowded and disorganized inboxes can get in the way of being responsive to the people who matter most. I was so happy to learn that the team at Basecamp, a 2017 Forbes Small Giants Award winner, has transformed email with their new product called Hey. Hey gives you back control of your inbox with features you never knew you needed, but you won't want to live without. The first time you receive an email from someone, you get to decide exactly what to do with it. You can add it to your inbox full of all the important stuff, your feed for casual reads, or your paper trail for receipts and other transactions. Or you can decide not to receive emails from that person. There's a handy reply later feature, so you never miss getting back to someone, even if you can't tackle it right that second. Hey also makes it easy to edit email thread subject lines into something helpful so you don't have to sift through long message threads that have evolved light years away from the original subject. Hey blocks spyware, makes attachments easy to find, and lets you send large files. Visit hey.com now to start a 14-day trial. That's H-E-Y.com for a 14-day free trial. And now back to the podcast. Can you think of another uh, unexpected learning, maybe from an unexpected source along the way? I think one of the things that I learned the hard way is that it's really hard to try to please everyone and always think you know what's right. And I think one of the things that I learned early was that when I would try to go off and think I knew what was right and then go off and do it, I would often find that I wasn't successful and I was often surprised and shocked. And what I learned, and my father helped me learn this, is the need to collaborate and to listen and to get feedback from others. And so, for example, when I was putting that nonprofit together and organizing that fundraiser, I had a lot of probably undeserved, unearned confidence. And I tempered that and learned very quickly. And I I will credit my father a lot with this, with the need to get people together. And so he would let me use his boardroom at the factory And I would invite the board members, which was a combination of other students from my school and community leaders. And this group of adults and kids would come together. And I would, I learned to ask open-ended questions and then shut my mouth and listen. And I really listened to the people in that audience and we worked together to create something. And I think that humility of learning that it's not about you, it's about the impact and the work and that when people are working together and egos aren't at play, you can have a much stronger, much more significant impact. And so that humility and that willingness to collaborate were both things that I learned the hard way, but also learned pretty early on in my leadership career. 
Well, it sounds like you had a lot of early success. So in some ways you kind of felt like, wow, this is this is easy or I'm really accomplishing things. And it took uh, that humility to realize it's not always about you and that if you listen and collaborate, you're going to make an even bigger impact along the way. That's a that's a great lesson learned. At, at what point uh, in developing the company and growing the company did you decide to be an ESOP. I know you're uh, open book, meaning that you share your financials, you're transparent with employees. But as you started growing the company, growing it for yourself, for your family, I don't know if you're the sole owner of the business or if there's others involved, but at what point did you decide that this is uh, important, that this become an employee-owned company? I don't think there was ever a moment where I woke up and thought that it should be an employee-owned company. I think the company was always an employee-owned company. When I first started it, it was me and a partner from high school. And when he went off to college, I bought him out. And then very quickly after that, took on another partner. And the two of us worked on the company for a few years. And then when that relationship didn't work out, I bought him out. And at that point, I brought on three really key employees. And I didn't look at them as employees. I looked at them as partners. I didn't legally structure it that way for a lot of reasons, but I looked at it as we were working on this thing together. And if there was an important decision to be made, I brought them in on that. And part of that might've been my own inexperience in business and not always having the answers and needing to collaborate and talk to others. And part of it was just, it was a lot more fun when we were doing it together, when it wasn't just me in a room making all the decisions and then telling other people what to do. And so the culture just kind of grew out of that. And for a while, we weren't making any money. So it didn't matter who legally owned the company. In fact, I was taking all the risk, but they got the benefit of kind of thinking and behaving like owners. But then one day, the company did start making money. And we had a valuation and our stock was worth something. And that is when I woke up one day and realized, well, this isn't fair. It, it doesn't make sense that everybody's working so hard to create and build value in an asset that at the end of the day, I'm the only one who directly benefits from. And that was when I did make the announcement that we were going to convert to an employee-owned company where the employees would have a stake in the financial success of the company. So that in addition to the salary they earned and the bonuses they were paid, they would reap the long-term rewards that come from being a business owner. And that part of that was teaching them the benefit of long-term rewards, that it isn't about the money you take home today every single day. Sometimes it is about making investments, as we have for the past three years, and sacrificed our profits to do it in order to grow and scale the company, because you believe in the long run, it's going to matter, and it's going to have an impact, and there's going to be a return on all that hard work and investment and patience that you paid in. And so it was a journey of kind of waking up one day and realizing I needed to manifest what was already true culturally on paper legally. And then that was a two-year journey to actually make that true. And then it's been an even longer journey to educate and to inform partners so that they truly can think and operate and feel like owners and not just be something that is true, but nobody really, it isn't manifested in the day-to-day behavior. Yeah, that's a really important point is that uh, whether it comes to just even being open book and transparent, or like you said, putting it on paper and making employees uh, owners of the company, it's not something that just changes the culture immediately. It's an ongoing education and involvement so that they understand 
the impact that they're making, that they feel like an owner, that they understand the impact of the decisions that they collectively make to help you grow. And uh, as I think some people that get involved in employee ownership don't realize that it's you don't just flip a switch. So there's a lot of ongoing education and uh, and makes people and the employees better owners going forward. You know, you talked, Elsie, about the potential challenge of growing and scaling the culture along with the company as you potentially explore acquisitions or grow uh, more organically. Uh, what, to, as you we bring the company now to current times, what other big challenges are you facing today? The industry that we're in is always changing and evolving, and that always represents a challenge. I and mean, to the point earlier, there's a lot of pressure on the industry to become increasingly commoditized which creates both a challenge and an opportunity. We need to continue to differentiate and not be a commodity because that's not the company that we've created. It's not the company we want to have. So we need to constantly reinvent ourselves, maybe faster than I think most companies have to and more frequently than most companies have to because of the industry that we're in. But that's, that's a challenge that we also see as an opportunity and something that really excites us. I think beyond that, to the point earlier, the ongoing challenge of making the ESOP exist on a day-to-day basis to be manifested in everyday actions, decisions, and thinking. And the larger the company gets, the more employees, the more spread out those employees are, the bigger a challenge that'll represent of really trying to make every individual employee feel like a partner in the company. And we, we refer to them as partners. We don't ever use the employee word aparagus. But that's only goes so far to your point earlier. And I learned this the hard way. Just calling somebody a partner, just giving them ownership does not make them an owner. And there's a lot of work and hard work that has to go into that. And I think that as we get bigger, that work is going to get harder and more challenging. And then beyond that, you know, I think this current climate that we're in is challenging and thinking what will work look like in a post-pandemic world and how long will this pandemic last, those are important challenges that our leadership team is always struggling with and trying to figure out how do we create an experience for both our employees and our customers that's exceptional and consistent. That's fundamentally what we have been trying to do since we started this company, create consistently exceptional experiences for both our employees and our customers. And that's different in this world that we're in right now for many reasons. And we need to continue to think through that and try to figure out what that's going to look like. Well, even with these unique challenges, the way you've set up the company and the collaboration you have fostered means that you're not required to come up with all the answers yourself. You've got a great group of 50 plus people plus customers that are helping you through that. And no doubt you'll survive and thrive through it. One of your core values is also to be humble. And you talked about that humility that maybe you learned early on, but uh, even in the last couple of years, can you think of a really tough or humbling decision you've had to make as a leader? Yeah. Uh, in fact, probably one of the hardest failures I've ever lived through was having to shut down a company that I had founded. And to your point earlier, you know, I had a lot of early success. I had a lot of continued success and I felt kind of like I was invincible. Everything I touched seemed to work out. And then I had this incredibly difficult failure and it very much reset and humbled me Um, without going into too much detail. We, I started a separate company. That company was the distributor for an international product. And we were the ones, their U S distributor bringing their product to market within the United States. 
And we ended up in a dispute with that company. I had uncovered some very unethical business practices that made me very uncomfortable continuing to rep and represent the company. It conflicted with the core values of that company that I'd established, which were different than the core values of Paragus, but had some similarities. And I had to be faced with this really difficult decision of, was I going to go against the company that was 80% of our revenue and 100% of what made us unique? We had this exclusive distributorship relationship. That was what made us a company, to be honest. And I had to kind of confront that and decide, was I willing to go against this other company? And ultimately, the decision that I and our board of directors came to was that we weren't comfortable representing that product. It resulted in a lawsuit, and that lawsuit resulted in the company being bankrupt. And we lost everything. I lost a significant amount of money. We lost our investors' money. I had to lay off a lot of people. In fact, I had to let my board know on my 30th birthday. And then a few days later, I had to tell the staff on Christmas Eve. And it was a really hard time. But as I think back on that time, I think about how important it is to do what's right, how important it is to think about all the moving parts and to do something that you can feel good about at the end of the day. And to me, that failure was one of the best lessons I ever learned and something that really grounded me and rooted me. And it's continued to help make that value of be humble at Paragus one that really has a lot of meaning. Yeah, really important story. And, and for people listening to realize it's not always easy. It's not always positive. There's Tough times, small decisions, big decisions, but you followed your heart. You did the right thing, uh, had to suffer through that, but to have come out better for it. Um, and uh, that's a really important experience to have gone through. Um, as you think about your personal leadership journey, we're always learning. Is there an aspect of leadership that you personally still want to improve upon? Yeah, I'm still learning how to explain what's in my head to other people. It's always been a shortcoming of mine where I'm six steps ahead and I'm talking about something that is crystal clear in my mind, but I forget that everybody else hasn't been germinating on that idea for the past six months. And I think it's a problem a lot of visionaries have and one that I've been trying to very deliberately work on. I've also been very uh, successful and fortunate in being able to surround myself with people who are able to do that translation for me and explain what's in my head to people who maybe aren't quite there yet. Um, but it is something that I want to keep working on and being deliberate about. And then beyond that, I think we all have, and I, you know, I'm always learning about how to continue to further my gratitude. How do I make other people feel truly appreciated and heard? And I think that's something that I've been successful at but I also think it's a journey that I can continue to improve on and one that I'm really committed to getting. I want to master it. I want to be as good as it can be good, you know, as, as one can be at doing that. Yeah, that's a great one. And a, a real practical one too, that um, we can always do better just making people feel valued and appreciated for the work that they're doing. And uh, especially in a company like yours, that's so uh, culture focused. Now, Delcy, if you were to give advice to, to a younger person that's maybe starting out in their career uh, based on the path that you've taken so far, what kind of advice would you give them? You know, I think one of the most important things is to define your purpose. If you're going to start a business, if you're going to do anything, 
ask yourself why and be very honest and open, especially with yourself about why you're doing it. I have started companies that the predominant goal was to make money. I've started companies that the predominant goal was to help other people. You have to know and be open and honest with yourself about why you're doing something and what you're expecting to accomplish and by when. Without that framework, it's really hard to make the big important decisions. It's hard to decide what are your values going to be. It's hard to decide how you're going to invest your resources and your time and your energy. You really need to know what is your purpose and don't let anyone else define that for you. It doesn't have to be about making as much money as humanly possible. For some people, that is their purpose, and that's why they're doing what they're doing. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. That's a personal decision, but it's one that they should be very transparent and open about, at least with themselves. But it isn't the only purpose. You can start organizations for other reasons. You can believe in other things. And I think what's just important is that you know what your purpose is. You know why you're doing what you're doing. Because if you know that and you're clear about that and you're honest about it, then a lot of the other pieces fit into place a lot easier. I think that's great, great at basic advice. And the fact is a purpose can change over time. And there's a difference between a company purpose, in your case, making IT fun and your personal purpose. And sometimes our personal purpose is something we're searching for uh, for years. And, and that journey maybe never changes. But to think about it, to try to articulate it, to communicate it, to find people that align with it um, is really, really important. And uh, you've, you've done so much in your company so far. I know there's many more things to come. You've built great structure and process in a, in a you know, still relatively small, uh, but growing business. Um, you've uh, included employees in the ownership of the business. You've built a tremendous culture that is so visible uh, in all ways and, and, and now even award-winning as you go. So it's got to be so personally gratifying for you. I want to close up, Delcy, with these five quick hit questions, kind of the association game. Um, if you could name a, a leader that you look up to. You know, my coach, Warren Rustin, is a leader that I really, really aspire to be more like. He's somebody who just has had a tremendous impact on me and has done a lot of good in this world and somebody that I want to continue to be like. Yeah. And so, uh, again, the importance of realizing we don't know everything and we still need mentors and coaches and, and yours has obviously had a great impact on your life. How about a great book that influenced your leadership style? You know, there are so many. And one of the pieces of advice I often give to entrepreneurs is read. There are so many great books out there. But I have to say, probably the most impactful was the E-Myth. It really was what started to unlock entrepreneurship and leadership for me, and then started my journey into reading many, many other books and expanding the way I think. That's a great book. I just referred that to somebody yesterday by Michael Gerber. Uh, wonderful for entrepreneurs, especially those starting out in their businesses and trying to build that structure over time. Uh, how about your all-time favorite movie? You know, this is a funny question. Um, I'm not a huge movie buff, but I will say I have this strange obsession and fascination with the Italian job, the, the newer remake. And our company has a fleet of black Mini Coopers that were 100% inspired by my love for that movie. I love that. Uh, do you have a favorite TV series that you like to binge watch? 
You know, there isn't one TV show that I will sit down and just binge uh, that comes to mind. But over the years, I have found that if I need a laugh, if I go back and watch an episode of either The Office or Cheers, either one of those shows, I can just watch an episode or two and it will just kind of give me some joy and bring me back up. Yeah, that's uh, I I haven't seen a Cheers episode in a long time. That's a good one to go back to uh, and watch. Uh, Excellent. And lastly, what's something about you that many people don't know? You know, I'll give you a really strange one, and it will ruin my ability to ever play Two Truths and a Lie with anybody who listens to this. But I have never had a bagel with cream cheese on it. What? It just never happened. And then at some point in my life, I just decided, you know what? If I've never had one, maybe that'll just be my thing, and I'll just never have one. So to this day, I've never had a bagel with cream cheese on it. Can I tell you what I had for breakfast this morning? <laughs> I had a bagel with cream cheese on it. And I'm telling you, you're missing out. So uh, that is, uh, don't don't hold out on that one for life. Maybe please. that'll be my uh, last it's, meal. There, oh, there you go. It's a, it's a, it's a pleasure actually. So I hope you, uh, uh, I hope you try that one day. Uh, well, it's been great to listen to your stories, Delcy, and, and so many things to learn from. Let me let me reflect on a couple of things that, that uh, stood out for me today. Uh, I, of course, the fact that you started so early, just as one of those young entrepreneurs that uh, was able to build a business and grow it over time, taking that uh, from your family and all the lessons learned there. I loved how you talked earlier because one of my books has a chapter called No Whiners, Losers, or Jerks. And so as, as great as we work and hard as we work to build these great cultures, we also realize that uh, we have to have the right people. And at some point, we're going to make the tough decisions to move people out that don't buy in um, or aren't supportive of, of the kind of culture that we've built. I like how you hold people accountable to contribute more to the culture than they consume. That's a great way to build that consistency over time. You've obviously allowed the employees to participate in ownership, but committed to educating them along the way so they can be really integral in the decision-making of the company. Today, you're living through this pandemic, but you've worked very hard to translate all the traditions of the company into things that you can do remotely. And that's going to allow you to scale this business as you grow, whether it's buying the Thursday lunch hold putting the three employees together. Uh, I I just love that. And coming from a family business where the matchbook business, I mean, gosh, who's, what young person even knows of a matchbook nowadays, right? But uh, that all started from that business that gave you the bug, starting your first nonprofit in fifth grade. But I think what's really, to me, stood out is really the lessons from your grandmother and not just so much the service or the technical thing that you were providing, but the fact that she, who was even not working in the business daily, knew all of the employees' names, gave out turkeys, put the money in their mailbox if they needed it, just cared about people in their lives. And that seems to me the way that you have grown your business, not only with employees, uh, but customers as well. And uh, I like how you said that the company's really always been employee-owned in your mind and in the the culture. You just took the idea uh, and then a few years ago built it uh, on paper into an ESOP, um, and that's going to give you this foundation to grow. And it hasn't always been easy. And we all go through these struggles. You had a 
what was a successful business as a distribution company uh, with a partner. It didn't work out. It ended up uh, failing. Uh, so we all have our failures, but we take them as lessons learned. And you did that in a, in a really uh, big way. And I think, as you said, those lessons still continue working to make people feel appreciated in the business, still learning to actually articulate your vision to people to slow down in ways that they can understand that vision, buy into it, or let the ideas come from them. Um, that's stuff we still work on. And lastly, the advice you shared with people about defining your purpose. And that's something that's a, a lifelong journey. And uh, having sold my primary company years ago too, I can be certainly one of those who's a number of years older than you, but says that that journey never ends and, and always continues no matter what you're doing in life. So that is a priority for people and, and great advice. So Delcy, it's just been a pleasure. Uh, again, congratulations on the Forbes Award. Continue success as you grow your culture, your people, and your customers. Great, great uh, success to you going forward. Well, thank you so much, Paul. And I have appreciated the time together today. And thank you for joining me on this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please support the show by subscribing to hear future episodes. Until next time.